Welcome to VPG's virtual water cooler chat podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Linda Liu and Partners. Linda Liu and Partners was established in 2003 with prestige in prosecution and its formal legal department, now a jointly operated law firm, Wei Chizhu Law Firm, is skilled in handling IP-related litigation cases. We have more than 350 staff, and 30 of our attorneys were former examiners from CNIPA, covering almost all technical fields. For patent prosecution, we have been recognized as one of the youngest firms in China by Chambers and IAM. In particular, we have been listed as recommended Chinese law firm by IAM Patent 1000 for six consecutive years. We also have extensive experience in IP litigation. A couple of our litigation cases have been selected as typical cases by the Supreme People's Court of China. Today, we are happy to have Sheena Yap Chan as our guest interviewer, and she's going to chat with Xiaowen Nancy Song. Nancy is a partner at Linda Liu and Partners Beijing office. Nancy focuses on strategic patent procurement and has extensive experience in patent prosecution before the China National Intellectual Property Administration, CNIPA, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, USPTO, and other major jurisdictions. Nancy also passed the U.S. Patent Bar in July 2018, and she has been a Chinese patent attorney since 2010. She always tries to go the extra mile for her clients. Hey, Nancy. So grateful to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Um, I'm all good. Actually, this week is a bit special for me. My two-year-old just started kindergarten. Oh, wow. And <laughs> he just went to sleep. Awesome. Awesome. So I just wanted to ask, you know, how did you choose your path to become a patent attorney? Yeah, I've often been asked on this question. Um, I think I've picked the right occupation for me. Actually, this idea came to me pretty early um, in my um, senior year in university um, because I graduated from Tsinghua and Department of Electrical Engineering. And this department is known as one of the most difficult or challenging uh, departments in Tsinghua. So um, throughout the, the four year of my uh, university study, I have met so many talented people or so many talented future engineers in electronics or in the high tech industry in the future. So when I was in high school, I was one of the, the outstanding students. I always ranked very high, like the first in the class. But when I um, entered university, I noted, wow, so in the world, there could be so many much more talented people than I am. Of course, I didn't rank very high in class, but from, my, from an early age, I always have a passion on not only in the um, in science area, but also in liberal arts, um, in literature, in languages, so in my third year in university, I started to think about, is there any job I could do in the future which can utilize my electronics background? But at the same time, I can be involved in something related to like writings um, or using my foreign language skills to do something for foreign clients. 
And suddenly, uh, when I was uh, browsing on the internet, I noted um, the uh, occupation of a patent attorney. It seems to me that um, they always are able to um, understand some newest technology innovations. Um, and of course, they need to use language, um, the law, that all the articles they are written in, in languages, of course. So you need to understand the technology innovation. You need to transform them into languages, into written form. And of course, you started the uh, innovation protection process. You're able to see how these great in innovations made by the inventors are being protected by the law and how they are utilized to, to help the, with the society. So I think this could be a great job for me. Um, of course, I uh, work in the field of uh, high tech and electronics. So I have this background. I could understand what the inventors are talking about. And at the same time, I'm pretty good at those languages or liberal arts or foreign languages skills. So I'm able to read um, the Chinese patent literature and also the foreign, um, you know, the newest arts in these technologies. Could be a great combination for me. So I think I decided I'm going to pursue this career uh, as early as in the third year of my university. Uh, comparatively, it's a uh, very early decision when I'm discussing on um, this topic with my colleagues. I love that. And was there any pushback, you know, especially in China, right? I know, you know, women are second class to men and family values is, you know, get, get married, have kids and run the household. I mean, when you decided to be a patent lawyer, were your parents like, you're not going to get married first? You're not going to do this? You really want to do this? Was there any pushback? I was just curious. Um, I think China is a very large country and each area is developed to a very different degree. Um, on the coastal area where I was born, I was born in Beijing, a larger cities. Um, mostly the parents are quite often open. And I think they understand and they recognize the value, more modern values than the um, more inner provinces. For instance, in the more rural areas in, in the western part of China, probably girls could receive fewer opportunities than boys. But in larger cities like Beijing and Shanghai, mostly uh, the girls are also treated equal. And in particular, uh, in high school and in university, many girls do a great job in the university or in the school examinations. And because in China, education is highly valued by the parents. So if you score high in examinations, usually, uh, you know, you would receive a lot of praise from relatives and also your parents. Uh, so people think mm, you have won a lot of faith for me. <laughs> so girls are, um, I, I would say they are treated also equally, especially in those larger cities. And in my family in particular, both of my parents and three out of four of my grandparents, they are actually electrical engineers. Oh, wow. So, sort of the family heritage. So it's not special for me as a female decided to pick up electrical engineering as my major, but also my mom and my grandma, two of my grandmas, they are also female engineers. I love that. I mean, you know, sometimes we see China as, you know, they look down on women, they don't treat their women right. There's certain laws that, mm -hmm. um, that favor the men over the women. But then I hear your story, you know, your grandma's were electrical engineer, your mom was an electrical engineer, and then you followed mm -hmm. suit. I mean, I think that's great to hear. And sometimes 
when you live in the United States or Canada or North America, sometimes we live in this bubble and we only see what's on, on social media. But when we hear specific stories like this, this is really amazing. And it's just inspiring, right? You know, as little girls, mm-hmm. we can be lawyers, engineers, have our own businesses. And I know China has a lot of phenomenal Asian women who've been able to make a name for themselves. So I really love that you shared this this story because I think it's really important. And so I know our focus today is East and West experience is the best. Tell us why you chose Mm -hmm. this title. Um, Because I got my uh, law degree in the U.S. um, uh, in California in the Bay Area, so Silicon Valley. Um, So I spent one year to get my um, LLM degree. Um, I try to immerse myself in the environment and try to understand more about the innovative culture in the Silicon Valley and try to uh, get to know more friends locally, not only my um, fellow students and professors, but also um, those IP practitioners and those people in general in the area. I found quite a few differences as compared to what I'm used to uh, in China. And sometimes because of those differences, um, there could be misunderstandings, you know, um, among different countries. So I think uh, from my personal point of view, I could get some of the differences. And when I'm communicating with those, um, for instance, the clients from the U.S. uh, or from Europe and those local clients from China and or um, the other people in general, I would be able to try to translate some of the differences into plain language so that people understand each other better. So just to give a, a very simple example. So when I was in Santa Clara University uh, School of Law, I used my uh, spare time uh, to try to um, join some local community activities. There is one called Toastmaster Club. So basically that's an English speaking club and they, um, they use one of uh, our school's uh, classroom uh, for their activities. So every time I would see about 20 or 30 people, a, a very large group of people. And there would be different activities, for instance, um, speeches with a given topic. And then they would have uh, people who give specific feedbacks. So how well do you deliver your speech? What about your eye contact with the audience? What about your tones or your body movements? What are the places to be improved? And all those commentators or those who give feedbacks, they speak in a very um, straightforward way um, so that, you know, those who actually, those presenters, they are also uh, very open to receive these feedbacks. They consider them as constructive. So people do not intend to just to say, to criticize them, oh, you are bad at this, you are bad at that, but they offer um, suggestions. Uh, They point out to places where you can actually improve. So all these activities were carried out in a very peaceful, even I can say that's a very warm atmosphere. So I like like that very much. So what I uh, learned from that Toastmaster activity in Santa Clara Law School is that I can openly give constructive feedback to those presenters, although we do not know them at all. And then uh, after one year um, study, I graduated. I passed the U.S. patent bar, by the way, and then I came back to China. So the first thing I thought about is that Toastmaster Club is a great activity. Um, when I arrived at Beijing, I found a few local clubs to try to view something. You know, it's the same Toastmaster, but it's in a different city, in a different country. 
and then I joined one of their activities. So of course, as a guest, they would invite me to offer some feedbacks, their presentations. So um, I adopted exactly the same fashion as I spoke in Santa Clara University. <laughs> I spoke very frankly, um, point one, point two, point three, all about the differences I see, and I also feel that needs improvement. And unfortunately, I could see that the presenters and also the organizers of that activity, uh, they look a bit embarrassed or unhappy, I would say. And in their summary given uh, after the whole activity ended, they even mentioned that. So there are always some people who look so highly on themselves. And even if they do not know all of us, even if it's their first time being here, they still dare to, you know, give some very sharp comments. Um, so I could feel that they feel offended. They feel very much offended by my comments. But I didn't meant to do that. I just want to give some constructive feedback. Um, and then I talked about this with my friends and colleagues. And they said, probably you need to make a switch from US to China. <laughs> Maybe in the US people, they are used to, you know, this kind of um, way of speaking, of giving feedbacks. But in the, in the Asian, Asian culture, I would say, uh, in China in particular, people, they have a sense of face or keeping their faces. So if you really want to give, um, to, to present some short, shortcomings, it would be best if you keep the 80-20 percentage, percentage ratios. For instance, people usually start with three good points. And then the fourth point would be something to be improved. So in, in our culture, if you speak in this fashion, it would be better for those audience and presenter to accept your suggestion in the fourth point. If you yeah. um, start straight away with all three downsides, and then they will feel very much offended. <laughs> so after a few years, I started, I finished my switching back to the China, China mode. So now I wouldn't speak straight away with the first downside, second and third, all downsides. That's one of the differences. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, I know it's, it's not always easy to take constructive criticism, right? Especially, you know, in Chinese culture and Asian culture, we always have to be like that perfect person. And so any mistake we make, yeah, we take offense to it. But in reality, you know, we have a lot of blind spots and sometimes we need a third, exactly. second or third perspective to show us, hey, you're doing this wrong. And, you know, I'm telling you this so that you can become better. Right. It's the reason right. we have coaches, we have support groups so that they can pick up those blind spots, because if not, you're going to be making the same mistake over and over again. And exactly. maybe sometimes you just got to take baby steps, like the 80-20 rule that you mentioned, which is great because, yeah, we say three good things and then maybe one, one thing that needs improvement. It's not bad. It's just, it needs, this is the area that you need improvement. And maybe it's the wording, right? And kind of just slowly get in there, right? Take it one step at a time. Um, and that's, right. yeah, that's great that you're able to, you know, um, be, be able to be the bridge for the East and the West, right? And I know, you know, your given name is Xiao Wen, right? Mm -hmm. I know in, in, in America, you know, a lot of Asian people here change their Chinese name or their Asian name to an English name because it's easier for Americans to pronounce. But because we don't use our Chinese name or our given name, or, or if we do, we actually get promoted less because of that, 
right? There's studies that that show that. But I mean, in China, it's different, right? Everyone can pronounce Xiaowen. Not everyone in America mm-hmm. can. But, you know, the more we can show up with our given name, you know, we can show them like this is part of our culture. You know, we have to respect each other's culture and realize our name is very important, because, especially in Chinese, right? Uh, there's always mm-hmm. meaning to it. Like my Chinese name is Tianhuina. And according to my great grandmother, it means sexy and intelligent. But for your name, yeah. What what does Xiao Wen mean for you? What makes you Xiao Wen? Um, yeah, so Xiao and Wen are two separate Chinese characters. So Xiao means morning, um, and Wen means the patterns of a cloud. So basically, in combination, it means the beautiful patterns of the cloud in morning, like morning glow. It sounds phonetically good in Chinese language. Um, I think that's one of the major reasons why my mom picked this name for me. And also um, the Wen, this character is the same character as my grandma. So it's also kind of like a family heritage. I think my mom didn't think much about its actual meaning uh, behind the Xiaowen word. Uh, but for me, I really like the inherent meaning underneath um, because beautiful patterns of the cloud in the morning Something in the morning, it means like newborn. And every time, for instance, when I travel to the seaside, um, I'm able to see um, the morning glow in the sea. I always feel fully relaxed and also energized. Like you are witnessing, you know, a newborn of a new day. And that means whatever obstacles or difficulties um, you have met, you have a new start, you can... Um, work diligently and also wisely to overcome those obstacles in the past. You have a new page. So so I really love this name. I love that. I'm like, I'm a morning person too. So, you know, I feel bad when I sleep in, you know, I like to start my day first thing in the morning, whether it's a workout or listening to a good audio or just setting my mindset in because it just starts the day properly. Right. And yes, we're going to go through challenges, pushback. um, But like you mentioned, we can start a brand new day, right? Tomorrow is another day, new opportunities, uh, you know, anything, anything is possible, right? So I love that. Right. Um, so, you know, Asian female lawyers in America, right, are probably the least to get promoted in big firms. Uh, there's studies that show that, that Asian female lawyers are actually, you know, represented in America, like there's very little representation. And I was I was just curious, is, the, is that the same in China? Do you feel like there's a huge ratio between men and women legal practitioners? I know you mentioned Beijing has does have equal opportunity, but within your industry, do you see that? And is it something that, you know, you want to change? I do think in the legal um, industry, um, we have done a great job in China on generating equity. For instance, in our firm, we have nearly 50 partners and about 60% of them are women. So men are in the minority group here in in our firm. So probably that's because we have a female founder, uh, Dr. Linda Liu. Uh, But what I have seen uh, in other firms and also in the uh, legal industry in general is that um, women lawyers, they have done a great job. Many of them started their own firms. Um, even in larger firms, uh, if the bills um, speak a lot, if you are able to do really great work and the client wouldn't discount your work quality be- just because you are a woman lawyer, 
they would still, you know, they are willing to pay the bill. And if your firm see your bill, they would like to promote you. There are certain, um, you know, considerations. For instance, maternity leave. Maternity live. That's like four months every for every kid. I have heard certain larger firms they would have some policy like they would be reluctant to hire、uh, women lawyers because of the maternity leave. But in general, because more and more female lawyers, they are really doing great work. They become also reputable in the、um, the Chinese IP field and also internationally. I feel that fewer firm would dare to refuse,、um, you know, enrolling、um, lawyers just because they are, you know, men or women. <laughs> I'm still quite satisfied with what we have. In terms of the equal opportunities for、um, our gender here in China, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that your firm has more women partners than men, which is,、mm-hmm. uh, you know, something that's not typical, right? And especially here in the United States, I mean, the ratios are still really big, right? And、um, it's still a male-dominated industry in the U.S. and Canada.、Um, but to hear that in China, you know. That's amazing. You know, maybe you could, you guys could be the, the change we could see for the rest of the world. And, you know, your journey is being becoming a patent lawyer. You know, I'm pretty sure back in the day, probably, did you have any pushbacks or challenges along the way? I mean, sometimes they see they're like, wow, you're so successful. Like, you know, n- there was no p- troubles or challenges. Like, was there any, you know, that you had to go through to get to where you are today? There were some very difficult moments. In my past, about fifty years、um, in in this profession, I, I wouldn't see say much about my own performance. To a larger extent, it relates to how I could or how I should work with the others. So I think、um, many top performers in our field, in particular those Asian women, we intend to do a lot of things all by ourselves. Because we can achieve a lot, we are highly efficient. So、uh, I'm able to finish a lot of work all by myself. I remember、um, in the earlier days of my career,、uh, it's really common for me to stay up until、um, 10 p.m. in the evening, maybe still in the office,、um, being a, the last one to leave. And it turns on and on. Just you know, it, it's strange for me to. You know, leave the office at, for instance, seven o'clock in the evening or even earlier. I even thought that that was a very natural lifestyle or work st- style to、um, keep working in the office until that、uh, late timing. But later on,、um, there was one day、uh, Linda、um, stopped me in the corridor and asked me for a chat for coffee. Yeah, and she said she heard something from our colleagues. What they said is that. Nancy is doing really well. He has finished a lot and achieved a lot. We could see that she is running faster and faster in the front, but all of us, the others, we are lagging farther and farther behind her. So Linda, Linda said to me that, "Is there a chance that you could take all the others to run together with you, to run running along together with you?" So I really, my 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 mind was like blank for a few minutes because I never thought about that. Yeah. 
but later on, after some further discussions with Linda and also, uh, you know, my husband and family, they gave me a lot of suggestions. I started to realize that I might need to do more experience sharing, the good experience and bad experience sharing with my fellow colleagues and also provide more trainings to the junior ones. At that time, I didn't know, you know, concepts like uh, how to delegate uh, or how to manage up. I absolutely had no idea of any of these. I just know how to keep doing all the other works, all the works for the others all by myself. <laughs> that was my focus 10 years ago. Um, but after the coffee chat with Linda, I started to notice uh, the importance to grow together with my colleagues um, of the same age or those younger than me. So I started to spare more time um, in addition to my own work to um, do something with them, uh, give them specific feedbacks in their work and try to um, gather more training materials and provide trainings inside the firm. And after that, I feel um, they started to show greater respect to me and they, they would love to listen to what I teach them. And also when, when Linda asked me, so how is your team? I could tell her that I right now I have a few team members whom I'm training and um, how they have developed themselves. Is there any, you know, any points that I need Linda's support? So gradually, I think I started to enter the right cycle. <laughs> but before that coffee chat, I really didn't know anything about these delegation or managing up concepts. Um, I became a workaholic, but that only make me, myself, run faster. It's not that beneficial to our firm as a whole. So I, I think that could be a myth or a misconception for many Asian women who are top performers. So this might be one of the lessons I learned that I can share. I really love that story that you just shared, because especially in our culture, you know, you're just told to be the top of everything, get the best grades, you know, get the best job, be the best of everything. And then so we're so focused on that, that we forget there's other people out there who might need help, right, who want to follow in your footsteps. And nobody ever teaches us to work as a community or have camaraderie or have a sisterhood, because in order to create the change that we want, we have to all do it together, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you can't be the only female lawyer and have 60% partners that are women and 40%, that has to take a collective, a community, a sisterhood to move up and show those numbers, right? And so I'm mm -hmm. glad you were able to kind of step back and realize, oh, I don't have to do this all on my own, right? I mean, I can run together with my team, my my um, my junior associates. And then it makes, makes it more meaningful at the same time, right? This is not just work that you're doing nine to five or, eight to 10, you know, 8 a.m. Right. p.m. Uh, this mm -hmm. is something bigger, right? Because now you're creating this change, this different trend, especially in China when women's rights were always, you know, second class to men. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. this is actually a really big lesson that we all need to, to listen to, even, you know, no matter what part of the world you are, because as women, we still have this fear, like, you know, oh, there's only so few that can make it to the top. But honestly, we yeah. can make it to the top. We can run together and, and make those changes. And so I have one more question for you, you know, to anyone who's listening to this podcast about your journey to become a patent lawyer, and they're in a similar journey, what would be that one piece of advice you'd, you'd give them? I would say, always keep your curiosity. 
um, I myself, I would say I am a person with everlasting curiosity. I'm very interested on the newest development in the law and in technology, especially those interdisciplinary fields, for instance, the intersection of artificial intelligence and biology and pharmaceutical areas. I would be fascinated by those interdisciplinary inventions. If you would like to become part of the patent profession, this is critical because you're going to devote in the future, maybe 50 or even longer years um, into this area. If you are not fascinated by those newest innovations, for instance, I have some young girls, they, they would say, oh, those interdisciplinaries are so difficult for me to understand. I studied double E and I couldn't read a word in those biological terms. So I refuse to do anything about that. This is so maybe you are not a really good fit for this profession. So always keep your curiosity. And if you are already in this profession and as a female, um, I would say when you have not get married, when you have not a partner in your life, when your parents, they are still pretty young, uh, because, you know, in Asian cultures, you have the duty to take great care of your parents. So as they are aging, you know, many times they would have some, some illness and sickness, and we need to spare our time to take good care of them. Um, I have seen uh, some really talented girls, and maybe they are just a bit, maybe not lazy, or they didn't push themselves so hard when they were young. So um, when they are already in their 30s or 40s, uh, they wanted to achieve something in their profession. However, they already have two kids to raise and their parents are also aging for, the, for instance, already in their 70s or, or 80s and need to visit the hospitals very often. They need, also need to accompany their parents and accompany their kids to the kindergarten and to schools. You only have 24 hours a day and you need to sleep. Um, if you didn't pay much effort uh, at a younger age, in your 30s and in your 40s and your Asian culture, it would be more difficult for you to spare enough time to really focus on your career development and try to get to a higher place in your career. So I think uh, in the long run, um, to start your milestone planning, for instance, after graduation in your 20s, so what would you like to do in the following 10 years and in the 20 years? And this strategy planning is also pretty important because I have seen several girls who are really talented, but just because you know those environments taking care of their parents and kids because of the time constraints, they did not mm, progress as quickly or as much as I would naturally expect. And that's a great pity. Thanks for sharing that. It's so true. And especially as women, we're known as the caretakers. Um, you know, we, we're not just working a job or having a business. We still have to take care of kids, take care of your family. Um, and it takes a toll on us, right? That's why uh, sometimes we got to learn to ask for help, especially if you have a partner, you know, maybe it's time we ask them too, right? Hey, I need, I need to finish this case. Like, can you just take care of the kids for two hours? You know, that would be great. Um, and I know yeah. it's easier said than done, right? And especially since this is something that's ingrained in our culture for generations, you know, like, the women are always the caretakers. We have to like drop everything. Yeah. But there's also a point in time where we have to fo focus on what we want in our life too, right? Because life is so short. Mm -hmm, exactly. Happen. 
and we got to go out there and make the most of it as much as we can to our capacity. So thanks for sharing that great tip. And it's so great to have you here, Nancy. Um, thank you so much for being on the on the show. And if our li- listeners wanted to connect to you, with you, where can they find you? Um, I'm always on LinkedIn. So let's get connected on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thanks again for having uh, having you on the show. Yeah, great pleasure meeting you, Sheena. Thank you.